This is Shane Holloway, one of Stephen Hall's all-time great. Here with my guys from Left Coast Pirates. Let's get it. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate, from San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. How you doing today, Mikey? Good morning, Tommy. I guess it's just, just different now, right? I'm, I'm in the man cave doing my thing, but I feel like I'm stuck in the man cave. This is like... 10 hours a day for work in the man cave. Now the podcast is in the man cave. Get me out of my garage, please. But this is becoming the new norm with what we're dealing with. I guess we're all just adjusting to the the new reality of the world for the time being. Mike, we live in San Diego. The weather is good. Get outside with your kids, man. That's what we do. When the kid starts getting antsy, we take them out. We play some basketball. We've been playing so much basketball, I had to put a new coat of paint on the ground. I was going to try to tell you that my jump shot's getting better, but it really hasn't. So I don't believe man. that for a second, Mike. Uh, but I, I'm normally super excited for the summer series to begin, so I'm, I'm not going to lie. It is still exciting to to have our first guest kind of kick off the show. Uh, I think KC is probably one of the most underrated pirates out there, and you're probably going, how is that possible? How, do, how can we say that Kadeen Carrington is the most underrated player when we start talking, or you give the tail of the tape, his numbers are up there cumulatively with some of the best players in the history of the program. And I just don't think he gets put on that plateau, and he absolutely should be relative to some of the all-time greats. So I'll, I'll kick it back to you. You know, Mike, I, I could do the tail of the tape, and I could spend a minute and a half talking about all the accolades, but... It won't do him justice. But, Mike, honestly, we were looking into him, gathering our information, and even we were kind of surprised with how great these numbers were. It just jumps out from the page. Well, it's it's not fair, and and this is where I'm going to go with this. KC gets kind of sandwiched around three other iconic players uh, in Seton Hall history. You have Isaiah Whitehead, a huge five-star recruit that comes in, carries the team or is the the integral part of the team to win the Big East tournament in 2016, goes on to the NBA. So everybody's talking about Isaiah. Then you got Casey and Delgado, 1A, 1B on the team together. But the reality is Delgado is, you know, setting the Big East all-time rebounding records. He's winning, you know, National Player of the Year awards at his position. And then all of a sudden we transition over to Miles Powell, who's first-team All-American, National Player of the Year candidate. And Casey kind of just gets lost in the shuffle amongst those three guys. And, and that's why I say it's not fair, because he's just as good 
to be in the conversation with those players. Well, let's see if we can give him a proper historical context here, Mike. He is the 10th all-time scorer at first seat in Hall University with 1,846 points, was a key contributor in the 2016 Big East Tournament champion team, and earned second-team All-Big East honors during his junior year. Since graduation, he has played in Europe, most recently with the rise in Ludwigsburg in the German first tier league welcome to left coast pirates live kadeen carrington kadeen how are you today i'm good man how you doing doing well thanks for joining us today casey so as tom mentioned you were out you were out in germany playing ball and just got back recently how were things over there with uh, the coronavirus i mean it started getting worse as it progressed because we're not too far from italy so um i guess the the german league saw that the nba and everybody else was canceling so they they decided to suspend it um, indefinitely. And it's still suspended right now, I think, until April 30th. Then they might make a decision on whether they want to finish it or cancel it. But, yeah, um, I mean, it's not as bad as here. I'm back in New York now, and it's, it's pretty bad here. But hopefully we get over it soon. How's everything with the family in New York? Everybody's healthy and safe so far? Or? Yeah, everybody's healthy and safe so far. We're taking the right precautions. So we're going to continue to do that. Well, we're real glad you're doing okay, and that extends to your family. Now, we brought you on to talk about your basketball playing days, but we did find something really interesting, non-basketball related, regarding your family. We read that your dad was actually a professional soccer player and coach from Trinidad and Tobago, and he played for the national team for over a decade. Was basketball your first love, or was it soccer because of your father's connection to the sport? Really, as a young kid, it was really soccer. Because, you know, that, that's what I was around at first. Uh, my whole family played soccer. So, I mean, I just saw, I took a liking to that. But then I, I came to Brooklyn. I moved to Brooklyn when I was about three, four. And then when it was time for me to get into sports, um, it wasn't really any soccer. Because soccer wasn't really that big here yet. Um, it's still not really that big. But um, it was like no soccer team. So I just took up a liking to basketball. I would just go to the park, play with my friends. One of my mentors from my, when I was younger, he just kind of took me under the wing. And I would just practice every day with him. And I, I just took a liking to basketball. Well, you had a pretty storied career at Bishop Laughlin. In your junior season, you averaged 24.7 points per game. You were the Daily News All-City First Team selection. And then your senior season, you just took it to a new level. You basically led the entire Catholic High School Athletic Association Class 2A division in scoring with 24.2 points per game. You were the CHSAA Player of the Year. You were Brooklyn Boys Player of the Year by the Daily News. You got to the title game back-to-back years, even though you guys didn't win it. And you finished with 21.96 points in your total career at the school, which was tops in the record books. What is the accomplishment of being the all-time leading scorer ranked for you, considering you passed greats like Mark Jackson, Javon Pinkston, and Devin Ebanks? throughout the years? I mean, it meant a lot. And the crazy part is, I, I don't think I would have did that if I didn't play varsity in my freshman year, because I didn't want to play varsity, to be honest with you. Coming into high school, we it was a lot of kids in the city. Like, all the top kids in the city went to Lachlan. So they kind of had to split everybody up. So some kids played freshmen, some played varsity. Well, only two of us played varsity, I'm sorry. And um, some played JV. And um, Coach Ed Gonzalez, he told me he wanted me to play varsity. So. I told my mom that I didn't want to play because I I felt like I wouldn't get any run on varsity. So I ended up doing it. 
and then I just excelled. Um, I had a pretty pretty decent freshman year, and then my from my sophomore year, I just took off. Your high school accomplishments certainly didn't go unnoticed from schools or the ranking services. Coming out of Bishop Laughlin, you were ranked 127th best player in the nation by rivals, and you received a ton of offers from majors and mid-majors alike. Schools like Iowa State, Cincinnati, Iowa. Dayton, Pittsburgh, we could just go on and on. We won't mention Rutgers. Now, <laughs> who was recruiting you the hardest at this point? At this point, Stephen Hall definitely was. Shaheen was definitely in there. Um, UConn, UConn was. I was getting um, calls from SMU. It was recruiting me pretty hard. Um, a couple others. I can't remember exactly. It was, it was such a, a while ago. But I definitely remember UConn. I remember Seton Hall as, as those top two. I was actually going to commit on my UConn visit. Oh, that my, kills me, KC. UConn, oh. UConn's yeah. in like the top five of Tom's most hated. So, I mean, be careful there. Ah, uh, man. But I'm, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I, I made the right choice, though. Were there any serious contention to possibly pick a St. John's or a Rutgers, though? Oh, St. John's was another one. It, it actually was because me and Isaiah was cool before before seeing Hall. We knew each other since about seventh, eighth grade. And during the recruiting process, we, we would always keep in touch with each other. He would tell me who he was visiting. I would tell him who I was, I was visiting. And we would say that we wanted to play with each other. And St. John's was one of those schools that was close to home. You know, it was right in New York, so we wouldn't have to go too far. We just felt like seeing Hall was the right fit. And it was the same. It was in the same situation. It wasn't too far from home. You know, our family could come see us play. So St. John's was definitely in the mix, though. Steve Lavin and those guys. Yeah, there was a lot of rumors for a while that Isaiah might actually go to, to St. John's. So we're glad yeah. that you both chose Seton Hall, obviously. Yeah. And you get to Seton Hall in your freshman year. You kind of quickly, you know, integrate yourself into the system. And a pretty decent freshman year, you know, almost nine points a game, three boards, two assists. You know, the, the team got off to a really hot start that year, 12-2. and two. You guys ranked 17th in the country. But what I remember most is Isaiah Whitehead goes down with an injury early in the season in the game at Georgia. And then you had a chance to step up and take on more minutes. And then on the schedule next, you guys are opening the Big East season against number 15 St. John's and number six Nova back-to-back at the Rock. And nobody thinks you guys really have a chance to win those games. And lo and behold, you guys win both in major upsets. You take St. John's basically to the woodshed by double digits. And then you play a classic game against Nova in overtime. It was highlighted by your 35 minutes, 17-point effort. And the lasting image in my mind is you and several of the other players going into the student section to celebrate with your classmates because they don't let them rush the court at Seton Hall with all the security guards. So describe to me that game and how special of a moment was for you and the team to kind of celebrate with the student body. It was real special. Um, Like you said, I don't know why they don't let them rush the court. I I guess because we play at the Prudential, so it kind of leaves them liable because if somebody gets hurt or something like that. But... It was real special. Uh, I don't think anybody thought we was going to win those two games, um, let alone Villanova. Everybody was just focused. I, I remember that game like it was yesterday. Everybody was focused. Before the game, everybody was locked in. And uh, I felt like I needed to step up, like you said, because Isaiah went down. So I felt like I needed to put in those minutes. I needed to um, score a little bit more. Like, like you said before, I've been scoring my whole life. So I felt like I needed to pick up the load a little bit. So it was, it was definitely a special moment celebrating with the student, with the student section and stuff like that. Does Kevin tell you before a game like that, like, hey, look, because Isaiah's down, I'm going to give you a heavier workload. I mean, you were probably playing about 20 minutes a game prior to that. And now all of a sudden you're playing double in a, in a more key you know, national TV matchup. I mean, sometimes um, – Coach, he would do it. He would he would come speak to me about something. 
Or sometimes he would just give me like a look. Coach, he, he like giving you, he don't like saying too much sometimes. So I just knew myself that I had to, you know, kind of pick up the load a little bit and, and give give some guys help. Those guys like Sterling and those guys, give, give them a little help. Now, what I find interesting was the whole point of you guys celebrating with your classmates. It seems like your incoming group really bonded with the rest of the student body in ways that we really don't see too often. What do you think the reason is behind that? I'm not sure. I think it was just the way that, that we grew up, the way that we was, the type of guys that came in. Like I said, we all of us really knew each other from young. Like I played with Desi AU in, in fifth, sixth grade. Before we even went there, like I said, I knew Isaiah. Um, I met Angel first day he came into the country. So we had a special bond and, you know, we would just be together all the time. And people took a liking to that. They seen how genuine we, we were with, with other people. And I, I guess people just took a liking to that. Well, that really did come through. Now, you went on to start about 10 games your freshman year. But, you know, one really seemed to change the team's dynamic, at least outwardly. And that was that game at the Rock against Georgetown. Isaiah was reinserted back into the starting lineup. He had been coming off the bench after recovering from an injury for a few games. But you ended up not being the odd man out. That night, you got the start over Jaron Cena. That yeah. also ended up being the last game Jaron played in Pirate Blue. Supposedly, yeah. Cena and Sterling Gibbs didn't even come back to the locker room after that game. What was mm-hmm. the chemistry of the locker room like at that moment of the season? Um, that moment, um, that was a tough moment. Like, like I said, preseason and everything, everybody, guys were battling. I knew I was a freshman coming in. Um, Isaiah knew he was a freshman coming in. So we had to kind of put in the work to get those those minutes. And I, I felt like, and also the coaches felt like I've been putting enough enough work to kind of earn my minutes. So I guess, I don't I don't know if guys felt the way about that. I never really had a conversation about, about that whole situation with, with those guys, but. I guess guys felt a certain way. And also, it's kind of tough when you, you know, you you playing games, things are going well, and then Isaiah comes back and then, you know, he, he kind of has to get reinserted. You know, he hasn't played for, played for a while, so he kind of got to get his, his feet wet a little bit. And everybody knew that. Well, I knew that. Guys knew that. But I guess um, some guys didn't really like that. I, I just know how the game goes. I know how basketball goes. I, I already knew he had to come in, come back in, get his feet wet a little bit. That's what needed to happen, but I guess I'm not really sure on what to say on that. Now, down the stretch, you guys struggled a little bit, and after the final loss of the season to Marquette in the opening round of the Big East tournament, did the team think there was a chance that Coach Willard would not be coming back that final year? Yeah, definitely. Um, It's crazy because my my people kind of called me and asked me if I wanted to transfer because – Everybody thought that Coach Willard wasn't coming back. You know, he he brought us in. Um, Shaheen brought us in. So people felt like that he wasn't coming back. But Coach Willard, so Coach Willard told us a story. He said he went to um, the AD's office and kind of kind of begged him and asked him to give him another chance. And then that that next year, you know, we just took it to another level. You know, everybody stayed in the gym that whole summer. We just worked hard. Coach Willard, he was on our he was on our backs the whole the whole whole preseason but everybody knew what the goal was everybody knew what we wanted to do we knew the the talent we had we knew what we were capable of and we already had a a season under our belt so um, we just wanted to prove everybody wrong well it's obvious the work that you guys put in that summer because you come back you become a full-time starter you average 14 points a game you personally improve statistically across every category upping all your percentages and the team goes on to have a great season They, they go 12 and 6 in the big east conference they finished third place overall 
But you know what? I, I remember going back with Tom going over, you know, our notes here and talking about that season. It didn't kind of get off to such a hot start. There were a lot of early ups and downs. You know, the team had a couple out of conference setbacks against Long Beach State and George Washington. And then you guys were two and two in conference play and just coming off a blowout loss at home against Creighton in which Kevin essentially benched all the starters for much of the second half. You know, the team was said to at that point have held a players only meeting, which was led by Derek Gordon after that game. What was said in that player meeting that turned things around? I mean, yeah, it, it was pretty, it was, it was tough. It was a tough start to the, to the biggest conference play. You got to look that one up. I think we lost to somebody pretty bad. I remember the Creighton game because I remember the Creighton game and you guys were Yeah, I remember. Bench. Yeah, he did. He benched, he benched, um, Desi and Isaiah. He be- yeah, I remember that. So I apologize if I threw you in that group. I'm, I'm sorry, Casey. He, <laughs> Casey, he benched, he benched Desi every season, man. It wasn't, it yeah, wasn't a season until Desi had to sit down a game. Yeah. Uh, I, I was concerned at that point because I, I knew you guys had that potential and it kind of yeah. felt like that was going to be the breaking point for that team. It really did. It might have been over. I'm not sure who it was. But I think during the whole game, it wasn't, it's, it says 11, but I think we was down about 20 something like the whole okay. game. You lost to Nova before before the Creighton game. So you guys were 2-0 and in Big East play. Then yeah. you lose at Nova, who's ranked in the top 25. No shame there. But then you come back home to play Creighton, and that's the game that you guys get blown out. So circling back to that team-only meeting, though, was it odd that Derek Gordon, who was a grad transfer at that point, initiated it? No, nah, it, was, it wasn't really weird. Like, guys would talk with each other all the time. Like, we would always be in group. But that one meeting, like, the whole team was there, like, I think Derek really did call it, and it was just saying like, what what do we what do we want to do? Like, do we want to just fold up now and just let the season go to waste, or do we want to, you know, play to our potential? And I, I think a couple guys got called out, and things just turned around. Um, everybody just started playing towards their potential, and we kind of picked it up. I think we went on a little winning streak after that. We won a, a few in a row, so I think that the, the meeting helped for sure. Well, team meetings, at least outwardly, always seem like a bad sign. But this one, as you mentioned, was effective. You guys went out. You won the next game at number 12 Providence, which featured Ben Bentel and Chris Dunn. And then you finished the regular season on a really good streak of 10-4. and four. But that team obviously is going to be remembered for winning the Big East Tournament title, which you played a huge role in. You got to be first team all Biggies tournament. You scored 27 and 23 in the first two games, respectively. And I've always said that if it wasn't for Isaiah standing on his head in that championship game, you were in line to be most outstanding player. Mm-hmm. Was there just something about the garden and the tournament that brought out the best in your players? Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we New York kids, so just having a chance to play in the garden, knowing the history, playing in front of your friends and family. Um, it just brings out a, a different type of energy in you. And I think we definitely had that energy in that in that whole tournament. Isaiah, we, we me and him, I, I think we just went on a tear, man. I, I don't I don't really know what it was, but we just we were just locked in. Well, everybody else thought you guys were gonna stay locked in. You get a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament, you get matched up against Gonzaga in the first round, and then everybody talks about how you guys got a bad draw getting sent all the way out to Denver. So so I got two questions relative to that game. What kind of impact did playing at the higher altitude have on the team? It was terrible. It was terrible. We definitely got jerked with the seed, though. But it was terrible going out to Denver. As soon as you get off the plane, you feel it. During the game, we had a, a, um, an oxygen tank behind the bench where we were trying to get air. So it was definitely tough. 
and uh, we played Gonzaga. That's a West Coast team, right? And yep. So they they kind of they're used to that. So I I think that drone was kind of off. That that's nearly a home game for them, <laughs> yeah, man. Home. That wasn't fair. Yeah. Mikey's been out here for a long time, but he kind of still associates himself with the East Coast. No, that was not a good draw for you guys. That was not was fair. Terrible draw. That was oh. not a traditional Gonzaga powerhouse. They had a down Stop year. They it, just Mike. Had a... Stop it. But what happens is people remember that Chris Wolchert and uh, Sabonis end up being NBA talent. So they look back and go, how can you get matched up against a Gonzaga team that has NBA players? But they, they were on a down season. I, I thought you guys yeah, were better Sabonis, than personally. Sabonis killed us. He did. I remember. I think Wilshire too. I think they both did. So yeah, it was pretty tough. And playing in the West Coast, us being a six six seed, them being what eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, I, I don't know. That was an off drawing. So here's the other question I had, and Tom and I always debate this: Is there any truth to the idea that after you go through an emotional run through a conference tournament title like you guys did, that it kind of takes something emotionally out of the team for that first game of the NCAA tournament? Yeah, for sure. It definitely does. I think we definitely was kind of emotionally drained after the tournament. You know, that that tournament took a lot out of us. We played, I think it was three games and three nights. People forget you guys played, you played number five Xavier in the semifinals before that. Not number five in the tournament, number five in the country. So you guys beat two top five teams in the country in back-to-back nights. Back-to-back nights. So that definitely took a lot out of us. And then having to travel all the way to the West Coast, being a higher altitude. So it it definitely took a lot of us. Out of us, I actually watched that game back, and I could see like we just kind of looked sluggish. Guys looked tired, so it was definitely tough. Well, moving on to your junior year, just as we saw in your sophomore season, your numbers improved, and you kept getting better and better. You ended up being named second team All Big East after averaging 17 points a game, and that season saw some really big wins, and that you were at real big parts of. I think the ones that most people remember at this point is the virtuoso performance against number 20 Creighton at the Rock. Seton Hall ends up winning 87-81, and you accounted for more than half of the team's points by scoring a career-high 41 points and still being able to dish seven assists. And it wasn't like you were sitting back on defense. You got four steals. I think seven rebounds too, right? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I won't doubt it at this point, man. If you could have went for a quadruple double, I would. you were playing so well that game. Yeah. But you know what? The moment that stuck out for us fans, at least, is diving on the floor to steal that half-court inbounds pass and taking it in for the game-sealing dunk. You know, for most fans, that was your signature performance. Where does it rank for you? Uh, that definitely ranks. That definitely ranks probably number one. I also had 40 in high school a couple times. Um, I had I feel like I had 40 on at least 40 on every every level junior high school but I mean 40 on the college level that's 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 pretty tough like it's it's real tough I still I actually still don't know how I did it to be honest I think I missed what five shots I think I shot 19 or 20 free throws so it was just one of those nights where you just locked in and, and just focus I was I was super focused and I knew we needed that win to get into the tournament so now, did you actually realize you were up at that point? Because I know at a TV timeout, you're kind of walking over and Desi's holding up like four and a zero in his hands. Did you know you were up there? No, I actually didn't look up till I, um, I think I had like 38 or 39 or something like that. And I got fouled. So I had to go to the free throw line and, and everybody just started grabbing me. And then 
Angel just put my head up and I just looked up and I see <laughs> I think I shot two free throws or something like that. That's how I remember it on TV is after he hits yeah. the first free throw, Desi's kind of flashing the four and the zero with his hands, kind of giving him like a look like, oh, yeah. there it is. There it is. It's, it's still crazy to think about it. Like having 40 on the college level, like a lot of a lot of people don't really do that. He also had a really big win at number 13, Butler. It was the last game of the Big E's regular season. Miles Powell hits that game-clinching three, but you played all 40 minutes having 17 points that game. Did the team feel they needed to win that game to punch their ticket? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like those last couple games, we feel like we needed to kind of solidify ourselves to put ourselves in the tournament um, because you never know what happens in the Big East tournament, but we, we kind of needed those wins to solidify ourselves and. You know, we never we never win at Butler. Like we always we always go to Butler and get our bus kicked. But um, if we were, we were even down. I think we were down ten and something like that. Um, but we we knew we needed it, so we just we just kind of rallied. Like everybody just locked in. Guys were focused. Guys hit some big shots. Miles hit a big shot. Guys were just focused, man. Now there's well, pressure to win on the road, but was there added pressure at that moment, knowing that you guys kind of gotta show the committee, hey, look, we're here, we're good enough to play. Yeah, definitely. You want to show the committee that you could win on the road. I'm not sure how much road wins we had, but but it's it's real tough to play at Butler. So that, that a win at, at Butler on the road, that that's definitely showing the committee something. Well, as Tom mentioned, Casey, you know, that season had a lot of big wins, but it also had a lot of tough losses. So I want to go to the biggest one. Obviously, team then qualifies for the NCAA tournament. You guys get an 8-9 game against Arkansas in the first round. The team takes a tough loss, 77-71. to but in the first round, this kind of was almost like kind of the, the talk of the tournament. ESPN analyst Jason Williams called it the worst call of the tournament collectively. And when you look back, is that how you remember the final moments of that game? I definitely remember that moment. I remember really the whole game, but that was definitely a, a terrible call because I, I even even days later, like I came home and I was just watching like on TV and stuff like that. And they would show the, the play over and they would just show him trip over his own foot. So I don't, I don't even know if they like, reviewed it did they did they no they they did for a second but i remember you and i were at a bar together tom watching that game and like there's no way we're getting this call at a bar and we're about to brawl with some random fans about the call there they ended up decided that they were arkansas fans for the moment because we were wearing everything seat and hall blue and after that call it was was, well it's because we were screaming we're screaming at the tv after casey after (laughs) you personally hit the layup to put us up one late and and that's kind of how i remember the game i remember you hitting the bucket to put them up one and then you guys get the ball back after they miss a free throw and mm-hmm. it's like a minute to play. And I'm sitting there going, Tom, they're going to find a way to close it out. But then coach Willard stops running offensive sets at that point and mm-hmm. kind of gives you the ball and lets you isolate up, t- up top, you know, yeah. given a chance to do it all over again, would you want the ball in that same scenario or do you want the kind of the team to kind of still go through its normal sets? I mean, I think I would want the ball in that same scenario, but that's the type of coach um, coach Willard is though. Like he, he kind of, leans on his on his top players to kind of make plays. Um, he did it with Isaiah. He did it with Sterling. And he, he did it with me also. So just giving, though, at the end of the game, because at the end of the game, everybody's tired. Defenses is locked in on your offense. So sometimes it's real hard to run offenses. So that's why you got to put the ball in your best players' hands and just let them make plays. All right, so so I hate to do this. In, in those two sequences, you had a couple turnovers. Does, do you have, yeah. like, sleepless nights you know, going back and replaying those moments in your head, you know, the, the couple days after that game, or even years later, looking back going, man, I, I wish I would have done something different there. I did. I did at first. 
of course, like later on in the season, even even in the off season, you know, I had pretty good teammates. I had pretty good a pretty good coaching staff, especially Shaheen. Shaheen been in those moments, so um, God, I just kind of put that compartmentalized it, just put that in the back of my head, and just kept working. Well, we don't get there if you're not on the team, so we're okay with it as well. Now, after the tournament, you ended up testing the NBA waters, which is usually the smart thing to do. But, you know, the process behind it is what interests me more. You know, Mike and I, being of a certain age and, and more than a few years older than you, we've been trained into thinking that the mindset should be that unless you're a lottery pick, a first rounder in the least, you don't leave school at that point. Now, is that mentality true anymore? We see more and more guys leaving for professional levels, whether it be NBA or, or G League or, or overseas. Does that still hold true? I think some of it does. I think if you were, if you were a, a lock pick, that you should definitely go. But with the, with the rule change saying that you could test the waters, I think that if you were a pretty good player, you feel like, you know, you could open some some eyes in the NBA, you could surprise some GMs and stuff like that. I think you should definitely test the waters because you could still come back to school. So I, I definitely think it's a it's a good rule to have in play. I got to ask another tough question here. Did did your teammates support Isaiah in not coming back because he wasn't projected to be a first round pick? Well, me personally, I told him that if he feels that it's it's the right time for him to go, and if he feels that he can um, do something in the league and get drafted, I told him to go because at the end of the day, that's somebody's individual dream. So you can't really be selfish and just kind of. You know what I'm saying? Kind of. And he, and, he, and he got drafted. He got the second round pick. He got a chance to play some extended time in the NBA. He he did get his shots. So like looking back, I don't think anybody kind of criticism for that. But man, we we it would have been exciting to have him back for another season. It would have. It definitely. It definitely would have. We definitely spoke on 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 that too. You know, we weighed the options. He will always um hit us up and ask us what we think and stuff like that. So we definitely weighed the options. But ultimately, he went he went with um entering the draft. So senior season starts, big things were expected from both you and the team. Mm-hmm. You and Angel were preseason first team guys. But, you know, since the team didn't land that big fish, Trayvon Duval, to run point, you were asked to shoulder the burden of playing point guard. Now, you still had a fantastic season, even though we feel that like you were playing out of position a little bit. You had almost 16 points a game. You had mm-hmm. four and a half assists, which is huge. But you didn't get recognized for any of the Big East selection teams. Now, personally, I always say ifs and buts are like cherries and nuts. Mm-hmm. But do you feel you would have been fulfilled at least that first team Big East prediction by playing your natural two position? Maybe. Maybe um, because my junior year, I kind of played point a little bit in, in little stretches. But it wasn't a full-time position. Um, my senior year, I had to play the position full-time. So just it was kind of tough for me at the start of the season, just kind of transitioning. Um, and I would spend hours and hours with Coach Willie, Coach Coach Shaw, just watching film and stuff like that. So it was definitely tough for me. So I think that kind of played a part in me not actually receiving any any Big East, any Big East selections and stuff like that. But um, I think we had a pretty good season. It was kind of, it was a little, it was little, it was little rough stretches in the season, but um, I, I, feel, I feel like we could have done a little bit better, but Hey, it's, it's, it's over now. It's, it was all a learning, a learning experience. Don't don't have Tom bring up the loss to Rutgers. He, he's not happy about that one, all right? <laughs> hey, had a chance to beat him four that years in a row. And... That was a fluke. Oh, better dead <laughs> than red. No, that was it. 
but, but I, I agree this, the season did have some, you know, ups and downs like typical Seton Hall seasons do. But to me, there was a turning point and that turning point comes, you know, when the, when you had that win on the road at Providence. And to me, that game sticks out because that was the game that was suspended due to the wet floor. And in that game, Desi unfortunately gets hurt and he was never really himself after that. But there in that moment, it seems like you put the team on your back over those last seven games. And I'm just going to rip off some numbers. So uh, put it into context, you start averaging 37 minutes per game. You jump your scoring number, which was 15 a game on the season to 23.7. You're still averaging four assists, four rebounds. Your three point percentage jumps up to 53 and a half. And you're getting to the line eight times a game shooting 85%. How did your mindset change at this point? Because you took over. You became the dominant player we all knew you could be at that point. I think I think it's just something in my head. Like, when stuff like that happens, I think I just kind of turn stuff on. Because I think, I, with me, I think I could play with anybody. Like I could play with any player. Like, whether it's a guy that shoots a lot, whether it's a guy that doesn't pass the ball, I feel like I can still come on the court and do what I do without stepping on anybody's toes. So that's what I really do. I, I like to see guys get involved. I like to see other people score, other people be happy. Um, but Desi was a big part of our team, a big a big scoring load too. So I, I just saw the need to pick up the scoring a little bit. And that's what I did. Coach Willie put the ball in my hands and he just told me to make things happen. And that's that's exactly what I did. Was that another one of those moments where he just gives you a look and he's like, you know what you yeah. gotta do? Yeah, just, just, just take the ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did have a great season. The team had a great season and it makes the NCAA tournament again third year in a row, which is a big deal at Seton Hall, and you finally got that first-round win. You beat the Wolfpack of NC State, 94-83, to and you had a monster game. 26 points, four rebounds, three assists. How satisfying was it to finally get that first big win in the big dance? Um, it felt real good, man. It felt real good. You know, not going, not being in a tournament for so long and then, and, and then getting back, well, the year before we were, but just getting back and getting back to, to winning, I feel like we, we knew we could do something special. I feel like we, we thought that we were going to go far, definitely. We knew we had a tough game coming up, the next game, with, um, which which we, we most likely knew was going to be Kansas, which it ended up being. Um, but I, I, I think we felt like we could beat anybody, man. No, you looked great. And, you know, just like in 2016's Big East Tournament, in the big moments, you came up. You run into Kansas, which is basically a home game for them in that we kept Another getting bad game. draws, man. Another but, home game. But you ended up losing 83-79. to 79, But you, monster game. 9 for 13, 5 for 8 from 3, 28 points. But the team just couldn't get over the hump in that second half. How disappointing was it to lose that game, knowing knowing that this team had Sweet 16 potential? It was real disappointing. Um, it was very disappointing because we, we like you said, we knew we had potential to go to the Sweet 16, whatever it was. We knew we had potential to go deep into the tournament. So just kind of losing that game, it kind of it kind of took a toll on us a little bit. But um, I felt like guys guys played hard. Guys guys left it out on the floor. Um, like you said, it was a home game for them, so there was a lot of questionable calls. But, but that's 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 stuff that you're always going to have to deal with. Um, you're always going to have to deal with stuff like that. Right, and I got a follow-up question here because I think it's now parallels to what we're seeing 
relative to the coronavirus and what happened with the cancellation of the NCAA tournament. I remember after that game, you and the fellow seniors were up on the podium with coach and it was very emotional. You guys kind of like let it all, you know, hang out on the court with your effort, but then emotionally you kind of shared your experience and your emotions with the audience that was listening. It kind of had a finality to the moment, even though it's probably not the way you guys wanted it to end, but you had closure. How do you think the guys are going through their moment like now, like a Miles Powell, who's not going to have a chance to see what it could have been. Put yourself in his shoes. How would you feel if you know you didn't get a chance to play that tournament? It's, it's definitely tough. It's definitely tough. I actually spoke to Miles too, but it, it, it's definitely tough because you know it's 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 always a what if. It's always going to be a what if. Guys like a guy like Miles, he has he has a monster season. Big East Player of the Year. You know, going into the Big East tournament and then it just cancels and then you have a chance to play in the NCAA tournament again, tournament again. And I think they had final four potential and then it just cancels. So um, not having closure and not having to be able to play, play that game. I think it's definitely tough. And I think it's definitely something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. So um, I spoke to Miles. I, I, I gave him, I told him my heart goes out to him, but I think he, he he's, def- he's definitely dealing with, dealing with it well. So Tom and I have talked about this at nauseum already, not having that finality, having it kind of hang out there as the what if, it kind of leaves some doubt as to what the legacy of that team's going to be. But relative to the concept of legacy, I want to go back to the core four or even include Isaiah Whitehead for what you guys will be remembered for putting Seton Hall back on the map. And I mean like historically back on the map. You guys win that Big East tournament title in 16. You have three straight NCAA tournament appearances. But with that success came higher hopes, came higher expectations from the fan, the fans, but and ultimately only that one NCAA tournament win. Do you think the team's legacy is different if you guys have a deep run? I think it definitely makes it a, a little different. Um, if one of those years we have a deep run um, in, in the tournament, but um, I, I still don't think it could take away from what um, the things we did. To be honest, you know, we we came back, we won a Big East championship. We actually we won we, we we won a lot of games for the for the program. So I think um, our legacy is still solidified. But I think definitely having a, a deep tournament run one of those years that we went to the tournament, I think it it could have definitely made it better. You know, when we interview someone, we do this segment at the end called Walk the Plank, where we ask them who the greatest pirates that they saw play were. And you know, during our interview with one of your former coaches, Shaheen Holloway, here was his answer. I mean, the best party I've seen, to be honest with you, and I'm a big, big fan of his. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Kadeem Carrington fan because he, you know, from when I recruited him from day one to where he came in to where he ended up as one of the best, you know, all-time senior hall guys. You know, I think he liked his score or something like that. Like, you know, people won't say him when you ask these questions, but I've seen where he came from to where he ended up at, and I'm so proud of him. So what's your reaction when you hear someone – that was as storied in Seton Hall legacy and your ex-coach speak of you in such high regard. I mean, coming coming from Shaw, that, that means a lot coming from Shaw. You know, he's definitely one of the greatest Seton Hall players. So just hearing that coming from him, um, that definitely means a lot. And like I said, we have a close relationship. We, we were real tight-knit. Me and we, we, we went at it. We went back and forth, but that's really my guy. So hearing that come from him, it definitely means a lot. On top of that, Casey, this past season, we also put Miles Powell's career into some statistical, historical perspective. You know, he was one of only four players in Seton Hall history to finish with 
1,800 plus points, 400 plus rebounds, 300 plus assists, and 100 plus steals. He joins the list of only three other players, as I mentioned, Terry DeHare, Andre Barrett, and yourself in holding this honor. That is some pretty impressive statistical company to be a part of. In terms of your individual legacy, how do you think people will remember Kadeen Carrington years from now? Years from now, I, I think they'll just see me as a, one of those players who just always played hard, always tried to bring it. I, don't, I, like, I definitely didn't have the best games every night, but I, I feel like I always showed hard. I always tried to do things to get, get the team win. So I think, and being a lethal scorer at that too, I think that's what people were really going to remember me as. I'm sorry, man. I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. Those are some pretty impressive numbers when you start adding them up. And I think that's what kind of Shaw was saying to us. He's like, look at it, man. He's like 1,800 points. He's like, the numbers don't lie. Yeah. He's like, they speak for themselves. And I, I think Tom and I kind of opened the show talking about this. I think you're, you're going to, unfortunately, and this is not fair to you, get lost in the shuffle with Isaiah, Angel, Powell. You're kind of sandwiched all in there with them. And yeah. if you were in another era by yourself, I think you're on a different level, man. Yeah. Yeah, probably that's it because we had so much. I played with so much great players, like like you just said. So, I think def, that 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 definitely plays a part in it. But I mean, pe- people are always gonna debate. People are always gonna um, have their own opinions. So um, we just let the people have their opinions. So now, after graduating, you end up playing a lot of professional places. You ended up on the Pistons summer league team. You played in Montenegro, in Belgium, and now in Germany. We always like to ask our interviewees, what has been your favorite destination so far? Uh, well, when I played in Montenegro, we played Euro Cup. So we got we traveled a lot. We traveled a lot of different places and played in different countries. But um, my favorite place that I played at, I'm not sure. That's a that's a good one. Are you are you playing a true point guard role out there, or are you yeah, playing more I'm, of a I'm lead still, guard? Well, like lead guard. I mean, I'm running the offense and stuff like that, but over there I had the freedom to like kind of like break the offense if I wanted to and stuff like that. Kind of like the same thing I was I was doing at Seton Hall, um, just on a just on a different level. So it's definitely just a, like a lead guard. Now, how long do you see yourself playing professionally? As long as God allows me to. Um, I'm not sure what the future holds. I'm not sure like what's gonna happen. I'm not sure like if I'm gonna want to do something else. Um, so it's really God's plan to be honest. We found that interesting. We had Arturis Karnishevis on, and he kind of, or in the back of his mind, I guess he had an injury or two, and he's like, I don't want to be playing till I'm 45 and then not be able to kind of walk afterwards. Is there a point that you're gonna, the light bulb's going to go off and say, all right, you know, I think I now know it's going to be time to shut it down, or is that going to be a tough decision whenever yeah, it comes? Maybe because, because definitely some guys, I mean, I've been in Europe for two years now, so I've been around older guys, and definitely some of those guys know when it's time to shut it down. But like, yeah, I got two more years left in me. So may- maybe that might happen with me. Maybe it might not. Um, maybe I'm one of those guys who plays till he's 45. <laughs> well, Godspeed for you. You know, <laughs> before we let our guests go, KC, we make them walk the plank. We're going to ask you five rapid-fire questions. We want five rapid-fire answers. Don't give it too much thought. Just hit the first thing off the top of your head. You ready for this? Yeah. All right, here we go. Question number one. Most points scored in any game at any level? 50. Which team was your biggest arch rival? Nova. Toughest road environment? Butler. Toughest opposing player you ever went up against? Jalen Brunson. Best Seton Hall player you've seen play? 
Miles Powell. All right, bonus question. You've been a part of so many big games during your days at Seton Hall. I want to know two more answers. What was the toughest of all the defeats? Rutgers. The most satisfying victory? NC State. Congratulations, KC. You've walked the plank. Thank you. Thank you. Well, KC, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us, especially during these tough times. We really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players, Mark Bryant, Marcus Toniel, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Diziri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 